So good to see you. Welcome. Thanks for coming out. My name is Austin, and uh, I have the privilege of leading our group. So good. Love being with you guys every Thursday night. We never take a break. Just so you know, um, I don't know if I should say this. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Uh, Thursday, in a few weeks, is Valentine's Day. And, um, you know, we were processing through, what do we do? Do we have service? Everybody's going to be out on the day. You know what? We're going to have service. So um, for all you single folk, come on in. It'd be great because you'll just be with a bunch of single people. No, what should happen is all of you that are not single should just wait and go on your dates like on the weekend anyways, because it's going to be packed on Thursday everywhere you go. So just postpone that. Come to church and get a blessing. Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) Love it. Well... Do you like who you're sitting next to? Somebody said no. That's awkward. (laughs) We have, uh, we've been in this series, kind of a collection of talks for the past few weeks, gathering around this idea of the truth about lies. And so we've been talking about truth and lies and all the implications of that and and really talking a lot about our culture and the world that we live in and this war on truth that we're currently in and and I know you know you guys probably see it in different ways and you're aware of it in different aspects of your life but it's out there and um, it's been refreshing to talk about it and I hope that it's been helpful to you as we just kind of lay a foundation for the rest of the year the most important thing that we can Uh, lay a foundation in is what is truth and the truth of who God is, the truth of who he says that we are and the truth about how life works, right? Reality and and what is the good life. And so we've been kind of laying that foundation. And last week we looked at Genesis chapter three specifically, and we looked at how the the serpent, the snake, who we would later find out is uh, the person that the writers of scripture would call the devil, In that passage in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent, the devil, really kind of proposed these three questions to the woman in the story. Her name was Eve. Really, the three questions that he presented to her were kind of the three essential questions to life in general. And so we talked about the three. uh, We're going to put them up here. He basically questions, who is God? The second question being, who am I or who are we? So who are we as humanity? And then more on an individual basis, who am I, my identity? And then what is the good life? What, what is the life that leads to this abundant life, this full life, the life that God's called us to live? Another way to say this, we said, are questions about our theology, questions about our anthropology or our identity, and questions about our morality or our sociology. All three of those kind of genres of questions you see throughout Scripture as part of our enemy, the devil, part of his scheme to confuse us and to bring what John chapter 10 says, uh, to kill, steal, and destroy our lives. And that's kind of his strategy to do it. And so we've been talking about that. And these are the three categorical questions of life and how you answer them matters a whole lot. And so I hope that you've kind of been feeling the weight of that. We talked last week, you know, we live in a, a secular society that attempts to answer those questions in a negative way. 
right? And, and I get it. Like, it's just everyone's trying to figure out how life works. And, and so some people answer that with an with a atheistic view of who is God. Well, there is no God, right? That's, that's their answer to that question. Or maybe some in a more agnostic view of, well, I don't know, he, she, it, whatever, however it was all formed, doesn't really matter to me. I'm just going to go about my business. Those are two of some of the most common ways to answer that first question. But the problem is, and we talked about this last week, the problem is the next two questions, how you answer them is determined by how you answer the first one. And really, the culture and the society that is surrounding us right now is happening because there is a uh, really a deconstruction of that first question. And so you end up living in a world that answers it, and they say, well, there is no creator. There is no God. This is just one big happy accident. There's just chance and probability and statistics and the problem is if you say that there is no creator, then there is no design. And this just is, we're all just a product of evolutionary theory. But if there is no design, then there is no intent or there is no purpose. And basically it's just survival of the fittest. Everyone good luck, right? But if there is no intent or purpose, then there is no morality. And where there is no morality, you get statements like, who are you to say what is right and what is wrong? How is that up to you to decide? And where there is no reality or morality, this is what happens is there ends up being no accountability and you begin to hear things like this. You can't judge me. Who are you to tell me what I can and cannot do with my life, with my body? Sound familiar? And all of it stems from a deconstruction of the first question. Who is God? And that's the world that you and I are living in. And that's a, a secular attempt to answer these things. And yet the teachings of Jesus and the writers of the Bible beg us to embrace the truth of God. The truth about who he is. The truth about who he says that you are. And the truth about the life that he has designed for us to live. That leads us to a full, abundant life, as John would say. And so we've been reading in John chapter 8 a lot the past two weeks, and so I want to just kind of recap and read one or two verses from there that will set the tone for tonight. And, and just to be honest with you, i got a short little message tonight. Somebody say amen. amen. So if you're tired, you're ready to get out of here, it's your night. i got a short little message. just want to give you a few thoughts, and then hopefully it will encourage you. John chapter 8, verse 31. We've been reading it throughout this series, so let me just read these two verses here. Verse 31, it says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said these words, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Verse 32, one of the most kind of famous lines of Scripture. And then you will know the what? The truth. And the truth will set you free. It is a giant statement from Jesus, and the implications of it are huge. The first thought I want to give you tonight is this. I believe it transforms who we are and how we live. It's this. It's a long one. Maybe you want to take a picture. I don't know. It may take a while to write it down, so leave it on the screen for a while. It is by spirit and truth 
that we are transformed into the image of Jesus. It's by spirit and truth that we are transformed into the image of Jesus and therefore we are set free to live in line with all that is good and beautiful in the world. It's by spirit and truth that we are transformed into the image of Jesus. I love Dr. Gordon Fee's definition of spirit. He says that it is God's empowering presence. Another kind of theological definition of spirit is the unembodied personal power. And so tonight, or really any night, when we say the spirit of God, we are referring to the very presence and with it the power of God himself. That's what spirit of God is. Very presence and with it his power. Now when we say truth, we talked about this two weeks ago. When we say truth, really the best definition we have of truth is reality. Or that which corresponds to reality. And reality, the best definition of reality that we have is, is what you bump up against when you're wrong. Right? And so if you've, we talked about that in the first week. And so you can get online and get on our podcast and catch up with that. But spirit and truth, and we need both of them to be transformed. This is why Jesus came as a human and as a teacher. He came as a human to bring presence, and he came as a teacher to bring truth. Now, think of this from just a, uh, a human experience, not, not spiritual, not supernatural, just the human experience itself. Think of a, uh, a person sitting in a room with, with you. If, if you're just in a room with somebody, one of the most awkward situations of life, if you're in like a, a waiting room for a doctor's office or a waiting room at the mechanic place or something, you're just in this quiet room, right, with just one person. You're like, I don't know if I should talk to them. I don't know if, like, what do I do here? We just ignore each other. Don't look at them. Don't make eye contact, right? And you're just hoping the music doesn't start playing because then it gets even more awkward, right? But if you're sitting in a room with somebody that you don't know, it's a little bit creepy, their presence really doesn't do anything to you except maybe creep you out a little bit. If you're sitting in a room with somebody that you do know, their presence perhaps is comforting. Perhaps if it's someone you know really well, just their presence alone brings like a peace to you. Just them being there with you is peaceful and it's comforting. But to be honest, it's really not life-changing. Presence is comforting, but it's really not life-changing. They're just there. On the flip side, truth without spirit or without presence is just cold and cruel, right? Think about this. Um, no one has ever said, man, Wikipedia really changed my life. Like I am just, I have been transformed by Wikipedia, right? I've never heard anybody say that. Maybe you have. Because Wikipedia carries truth but it doesn't carry presence with it. It doesn't carry, you know, a, a spirit about it that leads you and guides you into the truth and how to respond to the truth. And so it takes spirit and truth combined. We need both of them, presence and truth. I'll give you two examples, and, and maybe you can think of your own, but two that I was thinking of. Think about, um, for those of you that have been a part of therapy or counseling, which I highly recommend. If you, if you have a good therapist or a good counselor, you have someone that you sit in a room with 
And then just their presence alone causes you to open up some of the deepest places of your soul. And just who they are, their, their comforting presence, you can trust them and you, you know that it's confidential. And just their presence, you're, you're willing to unveil all these, like, the deepest, darkest secrets of your life and these, these holes that you hide from everybody. And now they're just completely open, you're completely vulnerable and honest, just simply their presence alone. And then a good counselor then does what? Doesn't just leave you with that, but then brings truth into it. And now those kind of deep places of your life that you have now opened up and exposed, now they feel truth with it. This is why I believe that counseling can be one of the most beneficial things that you could ever participate in because those two things exist. On the flip side, this is why bad counseling can be extremely toxic. Think about you get in a room with somebody, maybe it's not even counseling, maybe it's a pastor or maybe it's, it's someone that you just trust. You get in a room with somebody and you begin to open up the deepest places of your life and your soul and expose all these things and this stuff from way back in your past and all this stuff. And you open that up and then as a, like a, from that, they begin to not inject truth, but they inject lies. That can be one of the most toxic situations you could ever get yourself into. And it's really nice to have one, someone who will just listen to you when you can open up and just kind of be vulnerable and honest. I think that's a, a good thing. In fact, I was talking to someone earlier this week about the power of confession and just me getting things out. That's a very healthy thing. But true health comes from when you can do that and then you get truth deposited into you after that. That's where healing begins to come in. But if you open yourself up and then lies get put into you, it's like pouring alcohol on an open wound and it is painful and toxic and is destructive to your life. Another example would be this. Think about, you know, I don't, probably none of you are parents in here except for me. Good parenting, what is, what is good parenting? Good parenting has a greater effect than pretty much anything else in our life. If you are brought up in the presence of a loving mother or father, hopefully both, you're brought up in the presence of them. And then on top of that, there's congruence with reality and you are told truth about who you are, about who God is and what the good life is. If those two things are combined, both presence and truth from a parent to a child, wow, how awesome is that? But bad parenting, unfortunately, is the complete opposite. And maybe there's been absence of a parent in your life, whether it's from workaholism. Maybe they were actually in your life, but they felt absent because they were a workaholic and you never really got to know them very well because they just weren't around. The absence of a parent in that way, or maybe it's divorce or maybe it's ministry or, or maybe you never even knew who they were. But the absence, the lack of presence, and then you combine that with lies spoken over you about who you are and your identity and your sexuality and your future and what it means to be human and worldview, just lies. And now you have a lack of presence and a lack of truth. This is why parenting is so important and challenging. <laughs> Spirit and truth are transformational 
on so many levels. But even more so, the spirit of God and the truth of God within us is what allows us to be transformed and what leads us into transformation. So if it is by spirit and truth that we are transformed into the image of Jesus, then the opposite of that is true as well. So point number two, this is my last thing. The opposite is true, that it is by isolation and lies that we are deformed into the image of the devil and enslaved into a life of evil and death. By isolation and lies that we are deformed. It's by spirit and truth that we are transformed. It's by isolation and lies that we are deformed. How does the devil bring pain and ruin and death and anarchy into our souls and into society? We've talked a lot about his strategy of lies, but I want to lean into this idea of isolation tonight because I believe it hits us, particularly our generation, maybe more so than ever. Last week we read Genesis chapter 3. If you recall the story, the serpent shows up to Eve and he begins to deposit these deceptive ideas that then combine with her already disordered desires. We talked all about that last week. But before he ever does any of that, what is the existence of Eve? She is isolated. Isolated away from the presence of God and away from her husband. And she gets alone and no one else there except for the, her voice in her head and except for the lies that are spoken to her. No one to combat them. No one to say, hey, 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 hey. Watch this. Just her and the lies that are spoken to her. And he plants these secular s doubts in her mind about who God is, about who she is, and about what the good life is. And this is why isolation, listen to me, this is why isolation is so dangerous for you and for me. When you are isolated, you are most vulnerable for attack. Can we say that together? I've never done this before. This may go bad, but let's say it together. One, two, three. When you are isolated, you are most vulnerable for attack. One more time. You ready? One, two, three. When you are isolated, you are most vulnerable for attack. When you are isolated. So hear me out, young person. When you isolate yourself from both the presence of God and the activity of God and from the people of God, you are most vulnerable for attack. I want to stay on this isolation thing just for a little bit because I believe it's one of the biggest threats to our generation. Think about the culture that we live in. It's just truth. The culture that both you and I have been raised in, we're living in now, is an extreme hyper say this word with me, individualistic society. Hyper-individualistic, meaning this. We are, are obsessed with these things. It's just kind of who we are. 
And now we can go our entire day not having a conversation with somebody face-to-face. There's very little relational interaction, and we can only just go about it like this, right? I read something the other day saying that middle school dances are now the most awkward thing ever in culture because now middle schoolers don't get on the dance floor and, like, have fun together. Now they just stand around the back up against the wall, and they just text each other and Snapchat each other and all that, but no one's ready to get out there, maybe make a fool out of themselves and dance with one another and face to face hopefully nothing too crazy you know middle school but now we just sit on the outside we're so hyper individualistic it's just me and myself and I and I don't want to be exposed to anyone I don't want to do life with anyone just hyper individual and that is not only that's encouraged right that's encouraged whether intentional or not intentional that's the society we live in not only is it that Is it that? But it is anti-authoritarianism. Say that 10 times fast. Anti-authoritarianism. That's the culture that we live in. Meaning this. We don't want anyone above us telling us what to do. I'm surprised any of you came to church tonight because I would be the one up here talking to you. We're very, very like, like get away from the big brother up here telling me how to live my life. No one tell me what to do. I don't want to work for anyone. I don't want to have anybody guiding me or directing me. Just let me figure this out on my own. We're anti-authority. And we reject authority. And then not only that, there is an obsession in our culture with privacy. Now, I, I, I think, you know, obviously all of us are concerned about, you know, someone peeping in on our personal life. We don't want privacy and whether it's the government tapping on my phone and looking at everything I'm doing or what. We're just obsessed with that. I think if there's anything that the right and the left agree on, it's probably the upset. We don't want people, we want our privacy, right? And I think all that is good, but I just wonder if it's part of the enemy's mantra to get us so secluded and isolated to say, I don't want anybody to know me. I don't want anybody to know what's going on. It's just part of what he wants is just me to be individual, no authority by myself. Nobody gets access to me. And the more that he can get us isolated, the more that he can get uh, to us through attacking us. I just wonder if that's part of his goal and that's part of his strategy for what he's trying to do. Because all those things that I just said lead us to isolation. They lead us to Christians without church, which is, by the way, not a biblical thing. To be a Christian without a church community is, is foolish. But we don't, we don't want anybody to know we just want to be by ourselves. We don't want authority. We just, I can be a Christian and serve God and love God, just me, myself, and I in my house. And we reject church. Leads us to secret sins that we don't want exposed. And this is why, think of, this is not a pleasant thought. Think of the worst thing that you've ever done. (laughs) Think of the things that have caused the most regret in your life, the most guilt in your life. I bet you every single one of them was done either when you were by yourself or when you were in the company of bad presence. You were either by yourself or in the company of bad presence. Like when was the last time you did something that you really regret when you were just having coffee with your pastor at 10 a.m. in the morning? (laughs) Probably not. You were probably either by yourself or in the company of bad presence. 
And that's why this is important, the importance of being in good presence. I cannot stress to you enough. And you don't need me coming up here and preaching to you like you're a little kid and saying things like, who you surround yourself with is, is so important, right? Show me, show me your five best friends and I'll show you, your, you know, where you're at in five years. All those things are true and you know them. You don't need me to say that. But I'm telling you, this is the importance of good presence because we are transformed into the image of God by both presence and truth. And we are deformed by isolation and lies. His goal, the enemy's goal, the devil's goal, is to isolate you, to get you so disconnected from the presence and the power of God and the community of God's people. If he can get you disconnected from that, he's won a lot. And you may say, well, how, how, am, I, how am I isolated from the presence of God if he lives inside of me, right? If we became, when we become, follow, we become followers of Jesus and the spirit of God then indwells us and lives inside of us, how then am I isolated away from God's presence? Well, it's not that your access to him has changed. It's just that you have choked him out in such a way by limiting his activity in your life. Do I need to change something? Am I good? Okay. It's not that your access to him has changed. He's still there. Your access to him is there. But it's that you have choked him out because, one, maybe you don't see your need for him. And so we don't run to him anymore. We don't surrender to him because, to be honest, life is pretty good, so I'm good to go. Or maybe you're just, like, distracted in life. I think this is, this is a key part. Think about, once again, how easy it is for the devil to cut us off, to isolate us from the awareness of God's presence and his truth simply by distracting us with all other things in life. It's pretty simple. If you're just real honest, if we just had a show of hands, don't do it. But how many of you, the first thing you did when you woke up this morning was look at your phone and look at social media? Probably a lot of us. I'm guilty as well. And think about already the battle that has been won because you are now isolated away from the presence of God. Not that that's the only thing that happens, but that's one thing. Distracted. Distracted. The invitation to you and I as a follower of Jesus is to refuse isolation and open ourselves to both the presence and the truth of God. To refuse isolation and open ourselves to both the presence and the truth of God. So how do you do that? We've talked about it a little bit already tonight. But to surrender to the Spirit of God. I just know for me that's an everyday thing that I have to walk through. Surrender to the Spirit of God, to open up the deepest places of my soul and who I am and say, Holy Spirit, will you mend the broken things? Will you rise up in strength inside of me and weaken the flesh inside of me? And surrender to the Spirit of God. 
Second thing I would encourage you to do is to submerge yourself in the truth of God. Submerge yourself in the truth of God. I, I was thinking about this. You know, I think part of the reason why maybe we don't submerge ourselves in this, and by the way, this is the primary way by which the truth of God gets inside of us and by which the truth of God becomes what we know in our minds and in our hearts is this. And I think probably, you know, one of the main reasons why we don't get in it and we don't submerge ourselves in it the way that we should is because we have this idea of, well, I just don't understand it. And I don't know, I read a chapter and nothing stuck out to me. It didn't transform me. Can I just encourage you with something? Who cares? Like, sometimes I don't think it's as much about, you know, oh, I read this chapter, or I read these few verses, and here's what they taught me. I think sometimes it's just about getting it in you. Like, just get this stuff in you. This is the truth of God. Like, the, the, God's word written for us. This is the truth of who he is. Just get it in you. Even if it means sometimes, and maybe, I don't know if this is the best thing to say, but even if it means sometimes just reading it and going, gosh, I didn't have a clue what that meant, and moving on, and just go throughout your day. But you're getting the truth of God in you. And you never know when your mind may, and I think the spirit of God will prompt you and say, remember what you read? And you had no clue what that meant? This is what it meant. And you may encounter a situation throughout your day and just go, ah, I had no idea. But I'm reminded of that. Or maybe you have a conversation with a friend. And you're like, I had no idea why I read this this morning, but now it seems to be appropriate. Maybe it wasn't for me ever in the beginning. Maybe it was for you. And I'm supposed to give it to you. So don't let the fact that maybe you read this sometimes, you're like, I don't really know what that meant, deter you from reading. This is the truth of God. Submerge yourself in it. Some of you, um, you may have seen, uh, I think it was two days ago, on, on my Instagram. That feels weird to do a shameless Instagram plug. Um, something that happened the other day with me and my family. I, I'll tell you the story. I was uh, picking my son up from the school that he goes to, and so it was the afternoon. Sometimes my wife picks him up. Sometimes I pick him up. But today it was my day, and I was actually leaving the gym, went to go get him, and as I got there, they, it was kind of this madhouse to find him, but I find his teacher, and, and, and she's like, oh, he just got hurt really bad. He's up at the front. Go see him. They're trying to bandage him up, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, what? Okay. So I run to the front to the teacher to find her, and she's like, okay, so here's what happened. He was falling up the stairs. I said, ma'am, chill for a moment. Where's my son? Can I just go see? Where's he at? She's like, oh, yeah, he's back here. So I'm like, thank you. Um, it wasn't mad or anything. So I go see him, and he had fallen, running upstairs, and he had gashed his forehead open. Like, it was a, a pretty deep wound. He had gashed it completely open. He had blood all in his hair, all down, like, coming out of his nose. It was all in his jacket. He's a little two-year-old boy, by the way. Um, all over his jacket. And as soon as I walk in the room, he says, boo-boo. <laughs> all right? Yeah, buddy, you got a boo-boo. Um, Anyways, so we figure out what to do. The, the teachers are like, hey, we got him bandaged up and everything, but to be honest, it's pretty deep. We think you should probably take him to the, the hospital. So I'm like, oh, yes, that's what I want to do tonight. Let's go. So get him ready. Get him, you know, in the car. We drive across the street to the little um, urgent care Choa place. 
And um, as we get there, we then begin to go through the process. And the first thing they do is they put this numbing gel on his forehead. And they said, this is going to you know, start to numb the area because we're going to have to give him stitches. And so obviously we don't want him to feel anything. But it's got to sit there for 30 minutes. So I'm like, 30 minutes? He's a two-year-old in a doctor's office? Are you kidding me? It's like, yeah, just, you just got to sit there for 30 minutes. I'm like, oh, great. Okay, so my wife's on her way home from work. She meets us there, all this kind of stuff. We wait 30 minutes for the numbing gel to work, go back to the place, and they start doing all their stuff. By the way, total respect and admiration for you nurses. For If that's the career you're going into, love you guys so much. You guys are amazing. Go back there. They begin to start the process, and they say, we're going to have to sedate him a little bit and knock him out some. So I'm like, yes, knock him out. Um, <laughs> so they give him this stuff through his nose, and they sedate him, and it actually turns pretty funny. He starts, like, laughing for no reason. And, and um, so they strap him down on this bed and, like, a straight jacket, which is I was really concerned about, but because he was sedated, they put him in this, and he just goes, night, night. <laughs> So um, they put him in there, then they begin to stitch him up. And all this process, two and a half hours later, we walk out of there, and he's got his first stitches as a two-year-old. And uh, by the way, never mind, um, first stitches. The whole process was long and crazy and, and uh, somewhat frightening. But as I've just been reflecting on it, I've just been thinking, you know, for so many of us, there are open wounds in our life. And our solution, instead of running to the spirit of God and to the truth of God to find healing, our solution is to just numb it a little bit and to move on and just think that that's going to be enough to just take away the pain. And for some of you, you've gone through enough life, you've had enough experiences, and you've got open wounds. You've got dad wounds. You've got relationship wounds. You've got disappointment wounds friendship wounds. You've got all kind of wounds that are just like open and bleeding. And your solution to them has not been to run to the spirit of God and ask the spirit of God and the truth of God to bring healing to those deep things into your life. But it's just to numb them. However you can numb them. I don't know what it is. Even, even I, I think sometimes you know, we don't want to be isolated, and so we just try and surround ourselves with a ton of people. Well, if I can just surround myself with lots of friends, then it will numb my wound of loneliness. And so we fight isolation, but we fight it in the wrong kind of way. And I just felt like the invitation for tonight was to say, if you have those, which I think we all do in some sort, would you be so willing to invite the spirit of God and the truth of God to bring healing to those. And I, I can't guarantee you that that's a in a night, in a moment kind of thing. I think that's a process. But I just wanted to encourage you that the best healing that will ever come is through that, through both the spirit of God, through presence, and through truth. And fight, fight, fight the temptation to isolate yourself either from God or from the people of God. So if I had to encourage you with one last thing, it would be this. Not only to surrender to the Spirit of God and to submerge yourself in the truth of God, but to surround yourself with the people of God. Surround yourself with the people of God. This is the importance of community. This is the reason why the church exists. 
It's to meet together and to do this thing together. And that's why we're here. I want you to know that's why we're here on Thursday nights because we believe in the power of community and the fact that we can do this together. And so I just wanted to encourage you, don't, don't be isolated. Don't be the Christian that thinks that you can just do this on your own and, you know, as long as it's just you and God in your house, you're good. No, you're not. You need community. And that's why we're here. Let me pray for you. So, Father, I, I feel like I just, you know, dropped a, a bomb with the, the wound thing. And so, Lord, it's much bigger than just the time I gave it. And so, Father, I pray for the, the person who understands and realizes that they do have that open wound, whatever it is. Lord, I pray that you would just so gently and softly uh, show them where they are trying to numb it instead of maybe going through the difficulty to find the healing that will actually last and the healing that they actually need. And so, Lord, whatever steps they need to take to move toward that, God, I pray that you would make it clear and that you would give them courage to do that. If it means that they find a group of people here at the church to surround themselves with, God, would you give them the courage to do that? Would you help us to be the kind of community that welcomes that? Lord, for some people in this room, they need to seek conversations about these open wounds, whether it's with a pastor or even with a counselor or a therapist. God, would you give them the courage to step out? These things are not easy. And God, I pray that you would um, stir something in us, a passion so deep to fight isolation and to lean into your spirit, your presence, your truth, into the community that you've given us the opportunity to jump into. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.